Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to the book of James. We were going verse by verse. We're in chapter 4, and we'll finish this up this month. James chapter 4, what are your plans this coming year? Something refreshing about starting a new year. A lot of plans, a lot of people thinking, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe you're going to try to get rid of all of the sweets that you ate during the holidays. <laughs> a woman walked into her bathroom at home, and as she did, she saw her husband weighing himself on the bathroom scales, and he was sucking in his stomach. <laughs> she thought to herself, he, he thinks that he's going to weigh less if he sucks in his stomach. She said, you know that's not going to help. He said, it sure is. It's the only way I can see the numbers. <laughs> I resemble that, actually. James has been writing to Christians. Now he changes gears a little bit. In fact, he speaks to a different group. Look at verse 13, chapter 4. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Dan was a single guy. He was still living at home with his dad. His mom had passed away, and he was working in the family business. And he found out that his dad had become sick and didn't have a lot longer to live, probably a couple of years, but he found out that he was going to inherit a tremendous amount of money. And so Dan decided that uh, if he was going to be wealthy, he needed a wife to share the fortune. And one evening at an investment meeting, he spotted the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. Her natural beauty just took his breath away. He walked up to her and he said, I may seem like an ordinary man, but in just a couple of years, my father will die and I'll inherit $20 million. This young lady was impressed, took his business card, and three weeks later, married his dad. Women are so much better at estate planning than men are. <laughs> they asked a high school student one time what he wanted to get out of school, and he said exactly that, out of school. 
what do you want to get out of this year? you got a brand new year coming, and God has allowed us to see another year, 2023. So what do you want out of this year? You're making plans. Maybe there's some things you're going to change. Well, I think this passage fits perfectly with this new year, especially when we're making our plans, and there are some truths here that can help you. First of all, make your goals, but don't presume on God. Now, only 3% of all people have goals and write them down and plan. Another 10% have goals but keep them in their head. But 87% of people drift through life with no definite goals or plans. They don't know where they're going. They just kind of take it one day at a time. They're just drifting all through life. The fact is that the 3% who have goals and plans that are written down accomplish 50 to 100 times more in their life than the 10% who have goals and just keep them in their head. The words come now, it's kind of an informal expression. It's, it, it's almost like you say, and, and, and by the way, I want to talk to you for a minute. He's talking to a different group. This is a group that does not know Christ. This is a group that, is not, that are not believers. He said, by the way, those of you who are not believers, I want to talk to you a minute. And that's the way it's written. He said, those of you come now who say, and the word say means to speak after a lot of planning, your deliberate thought, careful planning. But notice the presumptions here by this group. We will go. Expresses confidence. Hey, this is what I'm going to do this year. I'm doing this this year. We will go to such and such a city. It tells the location. There's nothing wrong with plans. We're going to spend a year there. Definite time. We're going to make a profit. We're going to buy and sell. Success. Personal gain was behind these presumptions, and they sound like good plans. There's nothing wrong with plans. But there was one problem. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Life is so uncertain, isn't it? And then he compares us to, he says, your life is like a vapor. The word vapor, is, it's the picture of that mist that you see formed on a cold morning. When you see your breath, that's the word vapor. Or sometimes you see a vapor over the mountain range when you're driving toward it and you'll see what looks like clouds that dissipate, or sometimes over a beautiful lake, if the water temperature and the, and the air temperature are different, sometimes there's a, a fog or a mist or a vapor over that water. It doesn't last very long. Our lives don't last very long. I don't know about you, but this is the first time that Christmas came camouflaged. It just came rolling in here, and I thought, my word, it ought to be Thanksgiving, and here it is December 23rd or 4th. It just happened quickly, didn't it? And I've been told by some of you who are more mature than I am <laughs> that it gets worse. <laughs> Thank you for those words of encouragement. But our lives go by quickly, don't they? They're here, 
and they're gone. Someone said, we're the only country in the world that has a mountain named Rushmore. <laughs> Y'all remember Stephen Wright? He, he's a real dry wit comedian. He's, he just talks in a real deep voice. I always wanted to have a voice that deep, but he said he bought a microwave fireplace. And now he can spend a whole evening in front of the fire in only eight minutes. But that's kind of us. It's kind of like we are. We're just all the time hurrying. And, and, and James says, you appear, you shine forth for just a moment. And then we're gone. It's interesting the Bible just describes our lives in different ways. Psalm 102 verse 11 says we're a declining shadow. In Job 7, 7, we're a whiff of breath. In Job 7, 9, we're a vanishing cloud. Psalm 102, 15, we're a fading flower. Have you included God in your plans? That's the point. You can make all these plans, but if you just presume that you've got all the time in the world, you really don't know your life is a vapor. James says it's time for you to put God in your plan. Don't presume. The story's told about a family who moved into a new community, and it was a smaller community, and the pastor of a nearby church came by and met this family and cordially invited the man to attend services on the Lord day, Lord's Day on Sunday, and the man assured them that he would come as soon as he got straightened out. Several months passed. He still hadn't appeared. So the minister called on him again, repeated his invitation. He got the same reply. As soon as I get everything straightened out. Well, a few weeks later, that man died. And his widow asked if they could have the funeral services at this church. And the Pastor graciously agreed. It was a sad affair. But later, one of the members of the congregation asked the pastor, do you think that man was a Christian? And he said, well, he never attended services here. and No one can recall ever hearing him give a testimony of his faith in Christ. So I really can't say I do know he was a man of his word. He promised to come as soon as he got straightened out. And he did. Listen. You don't want to wait till you're straightened out and brought in here feet first. Don't presume on God. Make your plans, but make sure God's at the foundation of those plans. Second thing, no one, remember this, no one is self-sufficient. In verse 13, you know, he talked about all the presumptions, but then in verse 16, he says, but now you boast in your arrogance. That word boast, interesting word, alonzania. And actually, you're going to laugh when I tell you the meaning of this. It, it, it's used of a wandering quack. Kind of like these guys you see that used to come through the towns and they had something in a bottle that they would sell people that cured everything. You know, it'd grow hair, it would solve all kinds of problems, all kinds of things. And, and, and now, now you see it on television, and it's always 1995 or 995. This sin is based on the assumption that you're able to control your own destiny. It's the only place this word is used. Well, there's two places. This boasting 
And it's also the word used in 1 John 2.16 where it says, talks about the pride of life. Like we can control our own destiny. Obviously, I don't go play in the street. I can control that part because I know I'll get run over. But folks, you can't control your day-to-day life as far you 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 can't you understand you're not in control of your life. Your life comes from God. You're not self-sufficient. You're not on your own. You you don't do it by yourself. And James says this boasting is evil. It's the same word where Jesus said, deliver us from evil. Same words. It means calculating your life on the continuance of living with good health and prosperity. It is the, it's, it's saying, I'm going to live. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need God. Now, I know I'm not talking to people who think that because you wouldn't be here today if you believe that. But it's amazing how many people think I'm in control of my life. I don't need God. The studies are staggering about even in conservative, major conservative evangelical denominations that within two years of graduation, 96% of high school students leave the church. Less than 30% eventually return. They take off without God. A lot of illustrations. What about the rich? We call him the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, verse 16, where it says a man had a bumper crop and he was going to tear down his barns and build bigger barns. And and he was going to say, man, I'm going to sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. And then that night he died. This coming Wednesday, 56 years ago, January the 4th, 1967, Donald Campbell was known for racing jet boats. He had a jet hydroplane called the Bluebird. He was going to race it over 300 miles an hour. January the 4th, 1967, 56 years ago this Wednesday. He hit 310 miles an hour in the Bluebird, and it disintegrated. He was 45 when he died. He wasn't planning on dying that day. Tell me what these numbers have in common, you mathematicians. 83, 19, 93, 69, 58. 98, 70, 65, 40, 60, 57. You find the common denominator? That's the ages of the people that died this week here in Lubbock. Did you see any common? You know, there's no, there's no, uh, Set age, is there? See, you, you really don't know how old you are. And I say this a lot because if you knew when you were going to die, you know how old you are. If I'm going to die at 70, which I don't know, then I'm old. I've got three years left. 
You just don't know how old you are. You're not self-sufficient. Don't presume upon God. And you cannot live a productive life without the Lord. Third thing, it's time to quit talking, start doing. Verse 17, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Sin is failing to do what is right, failing to do what God requires. You you know, James talked earlier about being a doer of the word. As a believer, we're not to just read the word, we're to do the word. You remember the parable that Jesus told about the, the man that gave left his servants with talents, five, three, and one. All of them had talent. But the one with one buried it, hid it, was a practical atheist. Practically speaking. He didn't believe anything. You and I need to understand that God has given us opportunities Some of you have never received Christ. He's given you another opportunity to receive him. Or those of us who know Jesus, he's given us another day. Perhaps we'll make the year. We don't know. But do something. Years ago, a top executive of a telegraph company, that, that tells you how long ago this was. He went on a trip, and it was extremely cold outside, and when he got to the bus station, he went to the local telegraph station to get warmed up, and when he got inside, it was cold, and he noticed there was no fire in the fireplace. And he said to the young telegraph operator, why don't you build a fire in this fireplace and warm it up? And the young man said, listen, mister, I'm too busy sending telegrams to build fires. Well, the man then told this boy that he was the vice president of the telegraph company and that he wanted him to send a telegram to the home office at once. And the message was, fire this man immediately. But a moment later, the young telegraph operator brought a load of wood into the office and began to build a fire. And the executive said, young man, have you sent that telegram? And he said, no, sir, I'm too busy building fires to send a telegram. (laughs) It's time to build a fire. Now, I used this five or six years ago, but I want to use an acrostic to encourage you a little bit to start doing something, and we're going to use the word start, S-T-A-R-T. First, stop making excuses. We're so good at it. Quit blaming other people. I've got to stop seeing myself as a victim of my circumstances. You know, other people can hurt you. Other people can harm you at times. Other people can scar us. But the only person that can ruin your life is you. Really. And we, nobody can ruin your life without your permission. You have a choice and that you can choose how you're going to respond to those hurts. And the Bible says that the starting point is to be honest and accept responsibility for your part of the problem. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but he who confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. He gets a fresh start. The place to start is to stop making excuses. What excuses are you using? 
Now, I know there's some reasons, but most of the time we have more excuses than reasons, don't we? Second thing, take an inventory of your life. God uses all kinds of experiences in your life. Right now, a lot of retail stores are going to start taking inventory for the coming year. Well, I need to take an inventory of my life. Galatians 3, 4 says, you have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. There are four kinds of experiences God uses to shape our life. He uses personal experiences. The family you grew up in, the people you relate to, God can use your personal experience with your husband and your wife. He uses personal experiences to help shape you. He also uses vocational and educational experiences to shape you. He uses spiritual experiences to shape you, like coming to church or going on a retreat or reading your Bible or having a quiet time. But he also uses painful experiences to shape you. And as you take inventory of your life, you need to ask yourself some questions like, what have I learned? Those of you who have 40 or 50 years of life doesn't mean you have 40 or 50 years of experiences. Some people live the same year over and over and over. They never learn. They never really stop and think about where they are. If you don't sit down and think it through, you'll end up repeating the same mistake over and over. Another question, what are my assets? What do I have going for me? Do you believe you are a mistake? Do you think that you're just here taking up space? Do you not believe that God knows exactly who you are and where you are? Listen, you have some things. If you got your health, you've got freedom. You, most of you are still mentally sound. Do you have some friends? Do you have the Lord? Do you have a church family? Think of your assets. You have so much that you don't even think about. Instead of sitting around singing, oh, poor me, think about what you do have. Think about who can help you. You need somebody in your life, a friend, an accountability partner, a support person, a support group, someone that can help you. But there's one that we can count on to be there to help us have a fresh start in life, and that is the Lord, Jesus Christ. The third thing is act in faith. The key to changing anything is to step out on faith. (laughs) Faith, you can't always see things, can you? To step out on faith, if you want to change your circumstances, it takes faith. If you want to change your personality, it takes faith. If you want to change anything in your life, Jesus said in Matthew 9, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Step out on faith. To start acting in faith means you've got to stop having a pity party and feeling sorry for yourself and saying, poor me, I'm such a victim, life is unfair. I have some real bad news for you. Life is unfair. God never said it would be fair. In this world, you shall have tribulation. It's filled with sin. Life is unfair. Be what God wants you to be, not somebody else. And quit worrying about what everybody else thinks. 
Proverbs 29, 25 says, being afraid of people can get you into trouble. The Living Bible says, fear of man is a dangerous trap, but to trust in God means safety. The fourth thing is to refocus. I need to refocus my thoughts. If I'm going to get going again, I need a fresh start. I need to rethink the way that I think. I need to change my mind about several issues. What do you think? Proverbs 4, 23, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. You see, the way you think determines how you feel, and the way that you feel determines how you act. And Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If I'm going to start over, that means i got to stop thinking some of the old patterns. What memories do you keep rehearsing in your mind? Let it go. Let it go. It's done. You can't undo it. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you see, the best, what's the best thing to focus on? Psalm 1 says, happy, blessed, happy are those who are meditating on God's word. They're like trees along a river that do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. Now, who doesn't want to be happy and who doesn't want to succeed? But the condition is they're meditating on God's word. The more you focus on God's word and the promises that he has, the happier you're going to be. Let me give you a suggestion. Don't meditate on social media. <laughs> now listen to me, folks. I'm serious. They ought to call it anti-social media because all it does is stir you up and make your blood pressure go up. I'm not so sure that you don't need to turn off talk radio or certain channels on television. Every now and then you might look, but I'm going to tell you something. You want to stay mad. Let me give you a few channels to watch or radio pros to listen to, and you'll be chapped off all the time. I'm not going to live that way. I quit listening to that stuff. Every time I turn around, the end of the world's coming. Well, I'm... 67 years old. It hadn't happened yet. I know it's going to, but you know what? If it happens, I know where I'm going when I die. And so I can't sit around and worry. Now, does that mean I'm not concerned about a few things? Yeah. But listen, there's enough fight for you to be in one all the time. You got to refocus. In fact, I think Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, whatever things are pure and honest report and beautiful and good, think on these things. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't say if you read this book, you'll be happy and successful. If you listen to this book through a sermon, you'll be happy and successful. If you, it says if you meditate on it. Now, meditate means to, to think over and over and over and apply it to your life. It, actually, the word meditate means to ruminate. And you know what a ruminate is? That's when an animal's chewing its cud. You and I don't have to do that. 
There are times I've eaten food. I wish I could ruminate it again, but, <laughs> but for the most part, we don't do that. But to meditate on God's word means I'm going to put it in my life to start over. You focus on God's word in your marriage and being a parent and your children and your church. God is not an elective. He's the focus. Lord, I'm going to focus on you. Yeah, I heard about what happened over here, and I hear about what's going on. Lord, I'm going to focus on you. You hadn't been shaking one iota about this. I don't have time to be mad all the time. Do you? I don't have time to fight all the time. I want to share the good news with people. I want people to know Jesus, the real answer to all of life's issues. Fifth thing is trust the Lord. You don't depend on yourself. We've already proven we can't do it on our own. That's why we failed. Zechariah 4, 6 says, You will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, here's a phrase you ought to write down. It's not original with me. Everything we've already seen ought to teach us to trust God for everything we haven't seen yet. One more time. Everything we've already seen ought to teach us to trust God for everything we haven't seen yet. Has God carried you through so far? He's going to take you through this year. I don't know what you're going to face. I don't know what I'm going to face. But it's not what you have in life, but who you have in your life that counts. And last of all, the principle, the right answer is yes, Lord. Verse 15 says, you ought to do this. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. It, you know, we, we use that as a trite phrase. If Lord willing and the creek don't rise or something like that. Creek never rises in Lubbock. The <laughs> Lord willing and... Whatever. The Lord will, and I'm going to do this. Basically, we, we make it a trite phrase, but in reality, it's the truth. You see, to know God's will is the greatest knowledge. To obey God's will is the greatest achievement. I want to do what you want me to do, Lord. The university did some interesting social testing where they took 10 students, were placed in a room, and they drew three lines on a card all different lengths. One of them, obviously, was the longest one, and the other two had various lengths. And the students were told to raise their hand when the instructor pointed to the longest line. But there was a stooge in every one of them. The other nine were told to raise their hand on the second longest line. And so in every case, and they did this around different places, in every case when the instructor pointed to the longest line, the stooge, the one who didn't know about all the setup, 
would raise their hand, and when no one else raised their hand, they would put it down like this. Every time, no exception. And then when they pointed to the second longest line, the other nine would raise their hand or their hand would go up. Even though they knew that that was the longest line, it was evident. But they went by the crowd. The researchers concluded that many would rather stand with the majority than risk being right and alone. Now's the time when you have to face some of your fears squarely with the confidence in God and say, God, I'm going to be, I want to stand for right, even if it means I'm alone. To know God's will, that's the greatest knowledge. To obey God's will is the greatest achievement. I can tell you it is God's will for you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Lord is not willing. He, it's not his will that any should perish, it says in 2 Peter. God wants people to come to him. He loves us. He wants us. He wants to be involved in your life. He has a purpose for you. Well, you know, as old as I am, I can't be used by it. Yes, you can. You can start right today. Drive down the stake and say, you know what, Lord? This day forward, I want to follow you. I want to focus on you. I want to quit making excuses. I may not can do what I used to could do, but I can do something for you. Maybe you become a prayer warrior or an encourager, calling on the telephone. I don't know what it would be, but, but you gotta, you got to start. Make your plans, but make sure God's in the middle of them. <laughs> Don't think for a moment you're self-sufficient. And the right answer is, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to quit making excuses. The Lord's never quit on you. He's never given up on you. He hasn't written you off. He still wants you to serve him, to love him, to focus on him. And you need to focus on a God who loves you, who's not always pointing his finger at you, who loves you and wants the best for you. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe he wants the best for you? So if you do what he asks you to do, you really think he's going to honor that? Yeah, I do. If you don't know Jesus, today's the day. Life-changing year in your life when you come to know Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Christ as their Savior. I pray that you would show them that life without you is hopeless, it's empty, it's barren, it's fruitless. Show them how much you love them. And show them that even now, your spirit is speaking to them to commit their life to you. Lord, I pray that they'll quit making excuses. 
Somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody did this to me. Somebody did that. Lord, help them to see past the fact that Satan is using that to keep them from finding fulfillment and happiness and joy in their own life. I pray that people will even now turn from their sin and ask you to forgive them and invite Christ to come into their life and save them. Lord, I pray for the believers who've made so many excuses not to serve you and not to even be involved in a church. I pray that they'd overcome that. I pray for those that need to even now begin thinking about getting into a small group, a group that will love them and care for them and minister to them. I pray for those that use excuses not to be obedient and being baptized. Lord, forgive us of our excuses and our whining, our pity parties. Right now, we commit our lives to 2023 to follow and serve you. Even if it feels like we're alone at times to follow the truth and be right, not in our own self, but because you are right. So, Lord, I pray that even now people would respond to you. Some, I know, are going to make commitments right where they are seated. Some will come publicly declaring their faith in Christ or joining the church or being baptized, whatever. I pray, Father, that you would speak to their hearts. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 